welcome to Podcast Sans Frontiers, a Batman audio experience. Here, we infiltrate the narrative, interrogate the characters, extract the themes, via grappling hook, of course, and finally face down the cinematic behemoth that is the Batman franchise. The hell are you supposed to be? I'm Vengeance. I'm Manu, also known as Manuclear Bomb. I'm Batman. I mean, I'm Brian. Today's episode is We All Have Our Scars, where we take another superhero break from Metal Gear Solid to discuss The Battinson, aka The Batman 2022 for Matt Reeves. But first, our spoiler warning for this episode. We will be going into The Batman 2022 in full spoilers. We will give the briefest of non-spoiler reactions, but after a musical break, we are going to go fully in-depth into the plot. There will also be discussion of other Batman media, including previous films, comics, cartoons, and video games. Really quickly to start, we haven't talked as much about Batman or the DC side of comics as much as Marvel, which is probably my fault, so just wanted to get a feel for our Batman exposures and experiences. You can go first, Brian. I'm trying to remember if I... I think I definitely did watch, because the animated series started in 92? I want to say that's right. I, I didn't watch it when it started, because I, I would have been three or four at that point, but it definitely was... By the time I was five or six, it was one of the four shows I watched all the time. The other three being Power Rangers, Transformers, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And um, one of those has held up really well. And it's it's uh, it's definitely not Power Rangers. I'll say that. Uh, um, Transformers the series is fine, but I don't know. It's probably not like good, you know, objectively. But anyways, um, so I watched that a lot. That was one of my favorite shows when I was a kid, and I just sort of was into Batman stuff. That was just sort of it, you know. I think a lot of people are like that. They just always were into Batman. It wasn't it's like a. The, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's one of the few things that people will probably know about Batman before they realize they know about Batman. Mm, it's just mm. like it's always there because it's been a constant presence. Unlike almost every other. In fact, I would say the only other really. Maybe the X Men and maybe Spider Man and Superman. I'm into Superman. But there's only four or five comic book properties that you don't really. Most people don't have like a. Uh, oh, I had to dig. I, you know, I had to go. Uh, I had to go on a journey to find this. It's just, yeah, I like this. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm not like, I won't say I'm a, uh, I'm definitely, I've never been like a uh, weekly comic book reader, but I, uh, I definitely, I mean, I, I think I've read all the major, anything, any, any story that, that people like Matt Reeves are pulling from, I've read like, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and then, you know, I, uh, I watched, I watched every movie. I was already, I was into Batman enough by the time Begins came out that I had like thoughts on how they handled year one stuff, which, you know, I was 16, so I had thoughts on everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, I definitely, I'm also, I, I actually at this point though, I consider myself because I, 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 the animated series stuff transitioned into just being a really big DCAU guy. I'm a huge Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, Superman, the animated series, Batman Beyond guy. So, that was really my Batman thing for a long time. You know, Kevin Conroy is my Batman. I think he is anyone our age. That's our Batman. Agreed. Um, 
so that the transition to that, but then I also just I think I've seen I'm not really sure how because not all not that many of them were really very good, but I've I think I've seen every animated Batman movie too. Um, so I'm into that stuff. I, I play all the Arkham games. I played all the Telltale games, which is important for this. Um, so yeah, I just I'm into Batman. I don't know if I would actually consider Batman my favorite hero, but I think I've just had the most exposure to Batman. Uh, if I said Batman enough, Batman. Batman. So any of our listeners can surely tell how much I love Marvel. It is definitely the comics universe I've spent the most time and read the most comics from. Though heroes like Spider-Man and the X-Men and Miss Marvel are like peak interest for me, to some extent I can read most titles or characters in the Marvel universe and I guess see most of their movies too at this point. Part of that is how the universe is constructed. It's easy for minor characters to pop in your favorite titles and then you follow them to their own titles. DC never had that kind of grip on me, but Batman is the exception. I was always there for Batman stuff because it was always there even before I was alive. Um, It doesn't hurt that Batman has easily been the most successful and viable superhero property of our lifetimes. Uh, Being an old person born in 1984, I watched a ton of the Adam West Batman 66 show that re-ran during the day before I was going to school. I got to Keaton's Batman by age five in 1989, and then a few years later, Batman Returns and BTAS would arrive, uh, Batman the Animated Series, for those unfamiliar, possibly two of the best Batman adaptations, at least visually speaking. And I think like you, I haven't done the weekly read-through Batman stories, but I have read most of the big ones, uh, which include Year One, The Dark Knight Rises, Long Halloween, Nightfall, Hush, etc., Again, all the ones that are pretty much referenced in the Reeves movie or any movie we've seen that pulls from the comic books. And uh, I'll also fall on this sword. I I do really like the Nolan films, at least the first two. Um, I consider them more like they're really good films that have Batman in them Mm -hmm. rather than good Batman films because there are some criticisms about the aesthetics and definitely the politics of them. But I think The Dark Knight is just like a great movie blockbuster like a great movie you go see in the middle of the summer and all your Mm. friends talk about um we just don't get a lot of those that are not um like mcu movies and i get that batman's a comic book movie but the nolan movies just don't feel like that same created by machine um except if that machine is christopher nolan who has no emotions but it's not like an assembly line movie the way that the mcu feels especially at this point Though I will say Mask of the Phantasm is probably my favorite Batman movie out of any medium that exists. That's true. So let's talk about the Batman 22 non-spoilers real quick. Uh, What did you think of the movie? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I think I try to talk about I'm really bad at non-spoiler discussions, but I'll say I think if people... I don't know how to really describe this because this is hard to do. This is for people who are, because again, I'm not like a weekly comics reader, but I've mostly kept up with just at least like what's going on generally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for the average person who hasn't who's read even less Batman comics than I have, which again, I haven't, I'm not going to say I'm like an expert, but I've read a, a fair amount. I feel like this people, you see all these people talking about every Batman movie is darker and grittier. A, this one isn't like, because dark, like the Nolan movies are like, the grittiest movies that's their whole thing but anyway i I think people need to understand that like this stuff parallels the comics in a way and like uh if you think this is like dark and gritty you should count yourself lucky compared to where the comics have been for the last 15 years it's like brave in the bolt like it's a it's a kid show um and i really don't think it's like it's 
it's long, but I don't feel like it's like super depressing or, or pessimistic about things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it, it's a movie worth seeing if you're remotely interested in the character. If you're not, then like you're not listening to this anyway. So yeah. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I'm not sure I agree with people calling this gritty uh, in the same way that people refer to um, the Nolan movies or even the Zack Snyder films as gritty, because mm-hmm. um, those very much feel gritty. And when they say that, they mean like, here is our real world or our reality, mm-hmm. and let's build a universe of Batman up from it. Um, this one is like dark and in the shadows in a noir sense, but it never really feels gritty like that. It still feels very much like a comic book universe in a way, the way yeah. that Nolan's movies didn't. The way that begins did a little. Mm-hmm. I agree. Like with that. the thing that like begins has people forget about this. Begins has like a whole island city in Gotham that's like comically trashed and fucked up. And like it's it's like it's like a super it's arch. It's very like not arch. I guess it's heightened, like kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And this movie th- that would fit in this movie much more than it would fit in the Dark Knight or Dark Knight Rises. That's, I think that's absolutely right. The 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 Narrows, I think it's called, and yeah, Arkham Narrows. is in the Narrows, uh, which is, I think, supposed to be like River North area of Chicago, mm-hmm. but then they laid over the CGI to make it look really run down and beaten up um, and then just kind of evil. It's the most gothic um, in terms of imagery that the Nolan movies yeah. probably got. If I have um, a real I, criticism of this film, it's, it's, it's not enough. There's not enough gothic imagery. Like, I want... Like I know people don't like the Schumacher movies, but even more so than the Burton movies, I really the thing I like about those movies in particular is that Gotham seems like completely un like impossible. Like it's just like a, a nightmare city. Mm-hmm. Like like it doesn't make sense. The skyline doesn't make any sense. There's no. It feels like there's. It feels like it's goes on forever. That's what Gotham should be to me because I feel like that's the easiest way to sort of move past any real world politics is to make Gotham like like comically corrupt and and to the point where the only the actual only real way to save the city is for a billionaire ninja to dress up and and punch people like that's the only way it really works i feel like and that's why animated series works so well because it's it's such an unreal like just like beyond heightened it's so heightened that's how that's why it really works i feel like it's totemic in a way because you can't really pin down the animated series to one time frame it's like People have TVs and phones, but all the TVs are black and white, But the, and the cars are like from the 1940s, um, but then Bruce Wayne will have a computer screen that's clearly from the late 80s or early 90s. Um, and I think they kind of go for that in this movie, just in the a fact little. that um, the like on the street shots are Chicago, but then when they pull out, it's like a combination of London and New York. Um, so it's trying to give that every city feel to it. But I think I agree with you. I think the more insane you make Gotham, both its people and the city itself, the less you have to worry about the politics of Batman. Um, because it's just like, yeah, if the city is that insane, then you don't even have to think about it. Sure, this is fine that some dude does mm-hmm. this. Real quick, I want to mention about the animated series too. The other thing that makes it sort of timeless, it, I mean, it's a city that runs on like, there's a significant amount of people who drive blimps, <laughs> which is like no city that's ever existed. It's like it's like a, a dirigible city, which is great. I love it. That's that's my favorite setting, the dark deco setting for Batman. It's the best. Yeah. I mean, literally, the every episode opens up with a blimp because the Warner Brothers logo fades into a blimp with spotlights on as Batman's chasing heroes for the title track. So, um, But we're not talking about the animated series, though maybe, maybe we should at some point now, given how many thoughts we have. 
Um, I really like this movie. Um, I like that where it pulled its influences from. Yeah. It did, you know, pull from like year one, which is something that, you know, Batman begins and um, Mask of the Phantasm even pulled a little bit from. But then it also pushed, uh, pulled from like Hush and uh, various Scott Snyder comics. It just didn't feel like it was hitting the same three notes that have been uh, played, like which are basically year one, The Long Halloween and uh, The Dark Knight Returns. Um, you can basically sum up the Nolan trilogy as those three. Mm-hmm. Uh, series. I, I would say there's a, there's uh, a little bit of Long Halloween in there. Oh yeah, there's a, definitely a lot of Long Halloween because Long Halloween is a mystery, um, and that actually I think Matt Reeves mentioned that I think Long Halloween and its sequel Dark Victory were big influences, as were Hush and Year One um, in terms of the big. You see, um, ego also comic titles though. I think No Man's Land a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Or it might be setting up a no man's land with adding, but that'll that that we'll talk about more in the spoiler yeah. section. A uh, couple other things is I think this is the best looking and sounding movie at least since Batman Returns. Um, and I don't mean in terms of the way like the Gothic uh, or the Gotham is constructed in a Gothic architecture, but more in terms of lighting and colors. Um, we talk about Batman the Animated Series being great because it knows how to use black space and the black paper it's drawn yeah. on. This movie is as close as it gets to that in terms of live action, the way it uses silhouettes, black spaces, and shadows. And then the colors that it does use tend to be primary and secondary colors, a lot of reds and blues and whites, um, and then a little bit of orange. So it has that kind of like Silver Age comic-y color palette, even though I wouldn't say this movie looks like a comic book, it almost feels truer to the comic book expression than a lot of the movies we see coming out recently that are comic book based. By that, you mean it, it's not um, grayscaled and set primarily on flat CG backgrounds. Exactly. Um, they actually use some cool new technology for the back screens that are kind of like the modern uh, matte mm-hmm. paintings, but they're like digital recreations that help keep depth and perception. Um, those were used primarily in those. Um, this sh- it should be a non-spoiler, but the building where the bat signal is, and there's a lot of scenes where Selena and Bruce are talking there. Um, that's where they yep. use uh, those screens primarily. And then I just want to say this movie also just sounds great. Uh, the you the way gunfire sounds, um, the sound of the L tracks running over stuff, and then most of all the Giacchino score, which I'll talk about more in the spoiler section, is just fantastic. It's it's very idyllic, um, very moody, um, but it's something that I've been listening to on repeat in the last week, and I've very much enjoyed it. Um, it's a really great score, as Giacchino's want to do. I think at that point we should just skip any other discussion and go right into spoilers. What do you say? Yeah, it's hard to talk about without it. Because it is a plot movie, I think, more so than most other Batman movies, honestly. Okay, let's talk about this movie in detail. I don't think it makes sense to talk through it like beat by beat like we did with No Time to Die or No Way Home, 
This movie is mostly a noir mystery, and while we are full spoilers, it would be excruciating to unspool it all here. So we'll just start a discussion working through the characters and see where things shake out. Uh, I want to actually first talk about the introduction to this movie because um, it's one of the first things that kind of has you double take. Uh, We're kind of uh, from the point of view of the Riddler who's using binoculars to spy on a little boy dressed up as Zorro and his parents, which immediately should have you thinking, oh, is this a young Bruce? Uh, But, you know, we'll later learn that this is just the son of the mayor. It's in our current time of the story. But I like that framing that they're always cognizant of Batman's origin story without ever telling you Batman's origin story. You don't get the pearls. We don't get the pearls, thank God. Exactly. Um, Because it's something that's very important to Bruce's pathos, especially this early in Batman's career, but they don't need to tell us it again. So I like this framing. I also got a Silence of the Lambs vibe a little bit, the way uh, Buffalo Bill used to spy on his suspects uh, before he would, you know, kidnap them. Um, Just kind of getting that connection sets a tone for this movie that I think it wants us to have um, because it is kind of like, are we going to track down the serial killer or not? Uh, So I really like this opening scene. It puts ideas in our heads, even though they're not the ideas we expect them to be. And now we can actually talk about Pattinson as Batman, but to do that, I want to talk about his introduction scene, which comes right after um, that Riddler scene spying on the mayor's son. It is the best one he's ever done. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is uh, Halloween time, and there's three concurrent crimes taking place. And basically, you get a little bit of a Robert Pattinson narration here, which is something that Batman does a lot in comics, especially his big uh, series, but hasn't been in any of the live action adaptations. So I enjoy I mean, that. Even keeping a journal um, but is he- a big comics thing. I want to say real quickly, because I think people, that's one of the reasons this movie, it's not a funny movie, I won't say, but I think it is less humorless than the Nolan ones because it's almost impossible to make a more humorless movie than, than the Christopher Nolan movie. But I think that's one of the things that really it, embracing that sort of dumb pulpy narration is what um, I think makes it a little more flavorful and comic, comic-y, I guess. There's another major yeah. thing too we can talk about. but Yeah. And it's also in line with uh, 1940s film film noir and hard-boiled detective stories where you'd have like Edward J. Robinson kind of character, or Edward G. Robinson, sorry, uh, sort of character talking about the crime that's keeping him up all nights and his waning relationship with his wife or something like that. Um, It's very much of a piece. So you have these three concurrent crimes, like one's a holdup, one's a graffiti tag of a government building, and the other is a bunch of like hooligans on a subway trying to beat up some random dude. And it's basically going through the heads and the faces of the all these various crime committers, criminals, I guess is the word for them, and uh, them doing their actions, but always looking into the shadows, wondering if Batman's going to emerge and kick their ass. And then in the final uh, of the three set pieces, the one with the kids on the train and they want to beat up a random guy, that's when Batman slowly walks into frame. You can hear his boots coming from a mile away and he emerges from the shadow and then kicks their ass. You hear like all his gear jangling too. I love that. That was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the makeuping on... Uh, the kids, because they all kind of have like this white Joker-esque makeup. It's very Nolan-y Joker, uh, to be specific. And you, at this point in the movie, um, you're not quite sure, is this like is this supposed to be like some Joker gang, or is this just like their version of clown makeup because it is Halloween? 
Um, and then there is the one kid who's kind of like the newbie who's not into like beating up. He has his uh, face kind of half painted, so it also gives a two-face vibe. So it's kind of like a shout out to the Rose Gallery, even though there is no indication at this point if it has anything to do with um, Batman's broader Rogues Gallery. I guess we can just say the Joker does show up at the end of this movie and we'll get there. I, um, um, so he does exist. I think that, that kid who had his face, his face half painted, he was getting... He was earning the rest of his paint by knockout gaming people, which is politically very funny to have them knockout gaming people. I laughed at that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a few things, like a few, a few things. That's the thing. Like, you, there's some funny, there's some stuff you can laugh at in the Nolan ones. I, it's never advertent. I feel like it's always on accident. And I don't know. Like, there's there are enough things in this. There's a point where they're investigating Riddler, and someone's like, "I found his his profile. He's got 500 followers." And I was like, "Oh no, 500 followers! Holy shit, that's so many." Uh, <laughs> Stuff like that, like I, I don't know if that was on purpose, but I laughed at it, and I laughed at, at them not giving people on the, on the train. The most, the most mm-hmm. deadliest, the deadliest crime you can imagine. It's very, it's oh, yeah. a very no, real crime a lot that of, definitely exists in the real world. There's a lot of like weird, funny jokes, like thumb drive, uh, yeah. which anyone who's seen this movie and listening to this, that was pretty good. Um, there's also some cringy, funny stuff, like the whole URL riddle was kind of yeah. goofy, but. Also, just like okay, this is this is comic book uh, kind of story. And then, and I'll say um, the other is thing about- is just Penguin in general. Instead of it's a very comical performance. Yeah, um, I love it though. But uh, let, let's finish up yeah. with uh, bats here. Robert Pattinson as Batman. Um, so he had one of the big changes with the Batman look is that they opened up the cowl mm-hmm. on Batman. So you can see far more of his cheeks and face and the lower half of his body, which allows a little bit more of the performance to come through. Um, especially with an unsure Batman whose mouth is tightening or trying to figure stuff out. Um, but what did you think of Robert Pattinson in his first turnout as Bruce? Wayne? He's great. I, I there's, or there's, there's criticism. So I think the interesting thing with the cowl is it's still, it's still not, I mean, it's obvious you can tell who it is cause we know who it is, but I still feel like they did a good job making it plausible that people wouldn't recognize him. I think the major reason for that is a, his just general demeanor is Bruce Wayne because it is different. I've, I've seen people talk about like Bruce Wayne doesn't exist in this movie. It, it, he does help. He holds himself. He slouches a lot more when he's Bruce. But also his hair, like it's such a defining characteristic, his his hair that he looks, it, it should, I think people just wouldn't be able to tell. But um, I liked it. I liked, this is a thing too. This is the biggest reason I'm defending his Bruce Wayne portrayal is he has an arc in this movie. Like this is a Batman movie where uh, Batman is the most important character. Can you imagine that? It's, it's been a while since that's mm-hmm. happened. Um. Really, since Begins is the first one you can really, the most recent one you can say that there's any kind of Batman arc. Um, and it's great. He doesn't understand, like, he, it makes sense that he does just doesn't understand he has to do, he doesn't have the Bruce Wayne persona because he just doesn't care to. He doesn't think he needs it at all. And I'm, I'm really excited to see him kind of work that in, being more, because mm-hmm. there's a few times he goes out and does stuff as Bruce Wayne in this, and he's just kind of a mopey dickhead. <laughs> I love that. But it's great. It's great that the, he and Alfred's relationship is, is a little strained because Alfred very obviously thinks he's lost his mind, which he has. That's spoiler. That's the point of the character. <laughs> a lot of his performances, like little things he does that I think are really interesting, just little looks he does. And that's sort of the Batman thing. Like just looking cool is like half the, the performance. But I think also I love that he um he doesn't really like – like I said, he's kind of he's kind of a mopey dickhead for the movie – but I, I really love how much of uh, 
like I said, he's just kind of mopey and and depressed. Like I think that's really the thing. But what this movie doesn't have that I every other Batman movie, every other Batman live action Batman movie has had is there's almost there's always a scene where he more or less turns to the audience and like rationally explains why he's Batman. And like that it's it's always annoying me because there's no rational explanation for it. Batman is not like Batman, I think people have confused him being intelligent and him being an inventor with him being like the smart superhero. Like no Batman is or like unemotional. Batman is the romantic capital R, the romantic hero. He's the the Byronic hero of the 20th century and beyond, where he's just like completely his entire existence is is emotionally charged and just driven entirely by his feelings and by his in frankly insane and impossible the, the romantic hero always has like a, a basically an unattainable quest. That's what it is. Like, like that's that's why Don Quixote Don Quixote is a parody of that. If people are familiar with Don Quixote, of like this person, this person who's on this never-ending quest for a thing that can never exist. That's what Batman is. He's not rational at all. He's completely crazy. And that's the only other Batman movie that doesn't have that. In fact, that has the opposite is Phantasm, where he has a scene where he's arguing with himself. If he should be Batman and he loses the argument because he's not mentally, uh, not a stable person. That's the thing this movie really drives home. And I really, really finally someone did it where he's not like this dry, emotionless, rational being like, you know, he's emotionally disturbed and he's like, he's losing it. That's why his no kill rule makes sense. I mean, A, because I, I just don't want superheroes to kill people. Like if they can avoid it, I don't like that. Like, uh, that's why the Punisher is not a superhero because he's just a murderer. And that's people who, some people who write the comics understand that. But, um, that's the, the, that's why the no kill rule makes sense for Batman because he's so emotionally unstable that if he starts doing that, he's just gonna, he'll be gone. Yeah. I think people are saying that, you know, there's no Bruce Wayne in this movie. And I, I think that's a wrong read because I think we're, we're intentionally showing a Batman that is not taking the Bruce yeah. Wayne side of things that seriously right now. Um, I know this movie is its own continuity or starting its own continuity, but I feel like a lot of it slots in really well between, let's say, where Batman begins and the Dark Knight is. Like there'd be like a whole line, like all of one line in Batman Begins is like, what do billionaire playboys do is like, you know, drive sports cars and date hot women, stuff like that. And I think we're actually going to see some of that build rather than just Bruce showing up in the next scene in a sports car with hot women. Yeah. Um, I think they're going to actually do some of that work. And, you know, I think part of the reason I like some of those Nolan movies was they at least voiced, like, you know, these are things you should be doing. But they just kind of said them and then Bruce would do them and that was that. Um, I think we're going to find the value in the Bruce Wayne persona over the course of whatever else they do with these characters. And I think that's part of what... Um, I, I'm not, like, super... I'm not anti the whole political plotline with the governor and the governor elect. It just didn't do much for me one way or yeah. another. But I think part of her arc or her point in the story was what can Bruce Wayne do to help, um, which I don't think is meant to be, you know, donate billions of dollars to charity, um, but rather like how can Bruce Wayne help the Batman experiment go even better than it and has And that's the other been. thing too. Uh, so I think that's the, 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 the two annoying big criticisms that that uh, people who don't think critically about anything in their lives always have of Batman is why does he donate money instead of being Batman? A, he does that. 
That's the thing. Every time, every time there's a no man's land or there's a kind of disaster thing in the comics, it's always followed up by a billionaire Bruce Wayne has rebuilt Gotham with his own money. Like that's what he does. The point is that Gotham is so far gone that it doesn't matter. Like this thing, this movie gets into pretty well that if he if he puts money for public works, like the the city is so corrupted that the money does not go there. Like he doesn't, it, it does not go to that. It's just taken by the mob, by corrupt officials, all this stuff. And then the other one, of course, is why doesn't he just kill the Joker? And the answer is because they want to have the Joker in more comic books. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, I like how they tied um, all this money that's going into the Gotham Renewal Plan, yeah. which was this big uh, platform forwarded by Thomas Wayne 20 years ago prior to the events of this movie. Um, basically, all ends up in uh, Falcone, Carmine Falcone's, uh, who's a mob boss. You should recognize that oh, name it's, if it's you Carmine know Batman Falcone at all. Now. Yeah, um, which I have. I have some ideas about why they change it to oh, there's one there's this, one obvious one it's um so rat with wings well that but also like uh so they weren't saying falcone and maroni all the time oh that's yeah, true that, that fucking italians yeah. man uh but yeah so i like how this bruce and i think this is buoyed by the score um it builds towards a more hopeful take on Batman, um, which is why I like that this one kind of climaxes with him saving people. And I know he saves people in basically every Batman movie, but like that very much is the point and him like literally helping yeah. people out from um, that, that I thought was very powerful. And I feel like that's a good, like kind of vibe shift away from the Nolan and Snyder era Batman mm -hmm. um, for like Bruce to realize, Hey, people need hope and I can do more than just, Punch you know, people go up and be like, you know, whatever he is in the dark Knight, where it's like, I can fall on the sword of being a public enemy. Number one, which I think is a cool twist, but um, I think this is a much better, more elemental Batman. Story this is, in that I sense. think this is the first time you, we have ever seen live action Batman in his suit doing humanitarian work, which is a thing he does a lot in the comics from what, mm -hmm. at least from my recollection. Um, yeah, I, I like in general. Yeah, that's that, that's where I'm getting at. Is this movie is like a dark, depressing thing, but like it ends on such a like legitimately a hopeful concept of like it ends. It's, this is the push and pull of Batman because I was talking for so long about Gotham needing to be like hopeless and and completely overrun, but also it needs to need the character needs to have he needs to think that he could help, he could save the city. That's the push and pull. Mm -hmm. Cause he even asked halfway through this movie is like, I don't know if things are getting better. Like he's actually like, am I making things worse? Which is, you know, a thing that comes up yeah. in other Batman movies. But again, like I was saying about the other thing, it's like the Nolan movies mention it. And then they just kind of move on to the next plot contrivance. Um, whereas this one kind of really has you sit with it. Um, I assume we'll talk about Batman more as we talk about everyone else. But one thing I want to highlight before we move on to other characters is that this is the first movie that also offers a more complicated version of the Wayne parents. Um, especially in the Nolan movies, Batman Begins, the Waynes, or at least Thomas Wayne, his mom doesn't get much of anything in the movie. Uh, but they're basically always viewed uncritically as just good billionaires and good people. Yeah. Um, they're almost like I think a, they're not like I don't want to cut in. They're almost like a stand-in because I think it's if I, I haven't watched Begins for a long time, but it's sort of implied that when they were alive, Gotham was a decent place. It was a decent city. Mm-hmm. It was yeah you know, all, all the all the shots all the shots of him remembering them. It's all much like the lighting is is softer. It's like cleaner. And I, I 
if Christopher Nolan was a little more critical, I wonder if you could portray that as just Bruce Wayne remembering when he was a kid. Because that's, you know, that's a very common American thing is I wish things yeah, were yeah. like they were when I was eight. It's like you don't just because you didn't understand how bad the world was. Things weren't actually better. But uh, I want to say real quick before we continue talking about that, uh, this is this is one of the main reasons I'm pretty sure someone on this writing staff or Matt Reeves himself has played the Telltale arc of Batman games because um, that is basically the plot of the first season is him slowly figuring out that his his father worked with mob bosses, his mother. Like his father – this is the – I mean I can say this spoilery. The main subplot about Thomas Wayne is that he was uh, was committing people to Arkham – to like get rid of political opponents and stuff and that his mm-hmm. mother was trying to stop his father from having and they're basically they were joe chill was a they were uh had a put hit put out on them by the mayor by hamilton hill and uh that's how they died in that it's a pretty politically charged but there's also there is a long scene in season one where he confronts alfred and says you lied to me about my father you told me my father was a good man and he literally says your father was a good man so like that's <laughs> come on <laughs> And I'm not saying like I, I'm it's not saying much like, what happens here. Hey, we you need to pay like that's how comic books work. But I that and the general tone and all the political stuff and a lot of the gadgets and the way the gadgets look and the way the Batcave looks. I feel like all that was lifted almost straight out of Batman Telltale, which is fascinating because it's it's a good game, but it had like no impact whatsoever when it came out. People were just like, yeah, that's fun, and then they moved on. So it's interesting to see. Um, just the, it, it's interesting to see. Um, it's a fresher take. It's a different concept. Like, yeah, this idea that the Waynes were human beings and not just idealized figures, I think, is very interesting. Yeah, because they're complicated, but they're not like, oh, they're all bad yeah, or yeah. evil. Um, it's just there's more to them than just this kind of like child's perception of them being uncritical heroes. And to that end, um, they uh actually brought in the fact that Martha Wayne was formerly an Arkham, which I think showed up initially in the Dark Victory comic, which was the sequel to Long Halloween. I might have that wrong, but some people have said, oh, they're bending canon. And I'm like, no, this is who cares? This has been in the comics for at least a couple decades, which also, yeah, who cares? Um, we see this happen all over the place um, in every comic book adaptation. But I like that it kind of ties one of the biggest institutions in um Gotham City to Bruce Wayne as well mm-hmm. um, by having Arkham Asylum and everything that happens with there. I'm more interested to see how they play on that. I assume we're going to get more on that. I don't necessarily love the trope of off-screen woman character has mental illness broadly, but I think it makes sense given the context and history of Batman continuity they're pulling from and likely building towards. And it, like we said, um, at least it's something for Martha Wayne. Like it's she's she's a deeply underserved character in general. So it's good to give her something, mm-hmm. even if it is sort of a, uh, an old, yeah, a not not exactly good trope. I, I'm confident enough. It feels like Matt Reeves particularly wants to give Batman's female characters something more, a little more to do, something. So that's good. Because there's only three yeah. or four that and ever did actually- anything to do, honestly. Yeah. And one of them is what? Rachel Dawes, you know, that memorable character we all know and love. But I think that's a good transition to talk about Zoe Kravitz, mm-hmm. who plays Selena Kyle or Catwoman. And man, fucking Zoe Kravitz is hot as hell um, in this movie specifically. And she's portraying kind of like a year one Selena, if you've read that comics. Yeah. Uh, she's obviously has 
the Catwoman trappings already, but the way that she lives with her roommate, Annika, and has all these stray cats, um, it feels very much of a piece with the Selina we saw in um, the year one comic. And she's also Zoe Kravitz looks like um, that version yes. of Selina Kyle, Kyle with short hair and darker skin. So um, I don't know. I loved her. She was magnetic, although I'll admit I'm on a big Zoe Kravitz run of late. Um, I loved her and Kimmy, the new Steven Soderbergh film. And then I went ahead and rewatched uh, Mad Max Fury Road and X-Men First Class, which she has a much smaller role in. But she's just dynamite, and she is just fantastic in they, this movie, I thought. she, I think she's a, a, a one of the leaders for me. There's always that thing on Twitter every few months, like, who's the most attractive? What's the most attractive a, per, a human being has looked on film? I'm going to say that Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman is, is up there. But I think she had really good – I think she's a little – she doesn't have quite as much to do as I think I would have preferred. But but the, the foundation is great. Oh, this is another – that's another Batman Telltale thing. There's a scene in that in that game where they meet at a graveyard and she tells him the city is not worth saving and she leaves. So like <laughs> – or maybe they meet, they meet like above the city. I don't know if it's at a graveyard. But that would be pretty much this movie's ending. So Yeah, but she – they have good chemistry. I think that's the big thing. They got – they have good – they have pretty good like sexual tension chemistry, which is that's that's really all you need for Batman Catwoman, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm glad that they they completely they went up they they very briefly there's there's almost nothing of her being like a criminal on this. Like I think it's just good it's just good economical storytelling because everyone knows where you're going with that. Like you're not making Catwoman a villain at this point. Um, she's too sympathetic a character by now. Like Eartha Kitt mm-hmm. Catwoman maybe, but like that's. Also, I'm wondering if there's people who are mad that they uh, they uh, made her a woke Catwoman. She's not white anymore. And it's like, well, bad news about that, buddy. But um, I'm sure that exists somewhere. Anyways, I, I, I oh, liked yeah. her a lot. I um, She's good. There's, there's a lot of good scenes with her, like investigating stuff. I like that. Yeah, she's not. She is she, like she's about as in, she's about as plugged into what's going on, maybe even more so than, than he is. So she's actually like a real asset to, to his investigation and not just like they, – sometimes they do Catwoman like she's a distraction for him. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't like – I don't personally like that take because like I think Alfred even likes that like, oh, he's he's talking to somebody. <laughs> not even so much like, hey, yeah. this might be someone he can be with. More just like, hey, he, he's socializing with a human being, which is you know important for this Robert Smith fucking depressed – Kurt Cobain ass Batman. <laughs> yeah, no, I think she does a really good job uh, playing off Pattinson. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the fun parts of the Catwoman Batman dynamic is that it's actual sexual tension between like two superheroes. It's not like they're alter egos yeah, or yeah. usually it's like a male superhero with a just a female civilian, like the Lois Lane Superman thing. But there is something I mean, it's kind of just like inherently hot when you have like two leather daddies or I guess a leather daddy and a leather mama. Um, And then they're obviously very attractive actors on top of it. Um, I think there's just a lot of good tension. And I do agree with you. I don't think we need to do too much of that. Selena, is she a villain? Is she a bad guy? She can be an anti-hero or have her own agenda. But I don't really need to do the will will she or won't she be a villain to Batman at this point. Um, and Catwoman's actually someone that the Batman movies generally have pretty good success yeah. with. Um, I think Michelle Pfeiffer was dynamite, obviously, in Batman Returns. And even Anne Hathaway was good. And if that movie was better, I'm sure her performance would be remembered a little bit better. But she was The good. other problem with her um, in that movie is that the first act, she's really in and she's important. And then she just does like isn't in the movie. 
She's just like say and all the rest of her scenes after he breaks his back is just her like watching stuff happen, basically. And it's like, okay. It's not necessary. And I think just to tie in something that you mentioned or two points you mentioned is yeah, I don't think she had a lot to do because a lot of what she did do was just provide some exposition to Bruce, mm-hmm. um, which goes into why, you know, you were saying like they work well off each other and she was very important to the story. But she just at some points did feel a little bit exposition dumpy, mm-hmm. um, mostly just with the Falcone stuff that we'll get to a little bit later. But no problem with that. And if you have Zoe Kravitz, feel free to give her all the dialogue you want. Um my only complaint, and this isn't a real complaint, is that there's a scene in the middle of the movie where they're at Selena's apartment and she's pouring no. herself a glass of milk. And during this entire scene, she leaves the fridge door open. And I'm like losing my mind. Just like close the fridge. Do you not know about food spoilage? Um, you have five cats. You're going to get in there. Uh, so that was my only minor, minor nitpick with her performance. But I don't think that's her fault. Um, and of course, I appreciate all the cats that are on screen. Um, I have a thing for strays as well. So um, the fact that we got cats all the way through the movie, including and up to her last scene where she's taking a cat with her on the motorcycle um, into all of that. So let's talk about the main villain of this movie, which is Paul Dano as the Riddler, not Edward Nigma, but Edward Nashton, I believe, in this iter- iteration. <laughs> and just what a delightful actor this guy Paul Dano is turning out to be. Literally everything I've seen him in, he is dynamite, whether it's There Will Be Blood, Prisoners, Swiss Army Man. Um, I know he has a bunch of other roles, but those are ones that pop into my head, and he's usually a weird little freak in those movies in his own way. And this one, he gets to be a weird little freak in his own way, and it's pretty delightful in this kind of Zodiac Killer kind of take on the Riddler. I don't think it's kind of a Zodiac Killer take. I think it's almost a one-to-one Zodiac Killer take, which is good. It's better because the Riddler is like, I mean, I, I wouldn't have minded t- trying for like an arch Batman 66 style, like goofy Riddler. But I just don't think it would work as well with this brooding dickhead Batman. <laughs> but um, yeah, the Riddler has been kind of underserved for it's, I mean, for a while now. It hasn't been like a, I think the Jim Carrey Riddler kind of killed it. Honestly, people were just couldn't take him seriously anymore. I mean, in the Arkham games, he's great. I love him, but his entire arc is that he's like kind of ineffectual. He's an afterthought to Batman. Like Batman doesn't really give a shit about him. He just solves the riddles on like in his off time while he's dealing with all this other stuff and then just gets him arrested. Like there's no – the Riddler can't fight. He can't, he's not dangerous at all. That's the thing. I think there's just – the Riddler hasn't been like a dangerous, threatening villain for a long time. Uh, I also love that he's Edward Nashton and not Edward Nigma. I hate – like I really don't like. Maybe it's just because I watched the first few episodes of Gotham, and that every every <laughs> single every single villain had like the most on the nose name imaginable. It's like they don't need that. It's yeah, yeah. No, I I am totally into that, and I like to your point about how the Riddler is not a guy who really goes toe to toe with Batman in the same way, say like the Joker does. I like that this movie's finish isn't a showdown really between. Um, the Riddler and Batman. They have like, they do a scene in Arkham that's supposed to kind of give you that like Joker, Batman, Dark Knight vibe where they're kind of face to face with each other just talking. And I like how that's kind of the payoff to their, you know, conflict. And then the actual final action scene or set piece is just a bunch of his followers. So the biggest part about the Riddler in this movie is his mysteries and less so that he's this kind of like, 
I don't know, like intimidating bad guy that Batman has to face down in the end. Um, it's his mysteries or his riddles get to be center stage and less so the character without sacrificing Dano's performance or anything yeah, it's in the process. Intellectual and a like a, an ethical threat, not so much. But you but you still get Batman punching guys if that's what you're there for. There's a lot of Batman punching guys mm-hmm. in this movie, and it's good. Yeah, that's really good punching. Uh, you mentioned uh, some of the 500 follower stuff earlier, but uh, the Riddler radicalizes his 500 or so his, followers. His, I guess you his only need to chan friends. Yeah, I mean, I guess if only like 20 of those people decide to take up arms, you probably were successful yeah. enough. Pretty good conversion um, rate. But I like, I like that. Uh, like it's obviously playing off stuff. Like this movie was well in development before the January 6th, um, like riots, and I. I don't really care for my modern movies to be so finely tuned into the political zeitgeist, but it felt like of a piece with it without being too cringe or on the nose about like misinformation or, um, you know, just kind of the fascist streak that's running through right wing America right now. Um, I'm like, it taps into it without trying to say something about it or being too on the nose that it just kind of takes you out of it and makes you think about the real world. You could say it's, it's as much Gamergate as it is QAnon. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's very yeah, true. And like uh, the other thing is too, it's it's the Riddler's not. That's an important thing. Like he's he's a murderer and he's crazy, but he's not really wrong about anything. Like he's he helped expose this gigantic conspiracy, which is that's that's I, I love. That's the thing I'm most excited for. We can talk about sequel stuff later. Is I love. That's another reason Batman. That's a way Batman can work is if he's facing f- huge, like. I don't want to say just governmental forces, but like huge political forces, like that are just well beyond anything. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons Court of Owls works so well in the comics is is anytime Bruce Wayne, the billionaire, tries to enact like sweeping progressive changes, they just like kill it politically because they are this huge cabal of rich of, of all the other rich people in Gotham. That again, that makes it. I know I said I don't like it when Bruce Wayne has a rational explanation for what he does, but I like that there is one. Like that makes sense. That makes it so the only way that city can really be changed is if some guy dresses up like a bat and punches people in the face. Riddler being kind of the catalyst for that stuff, I think, is really exciting. I like that a lot. That's a good way to use him, and he can show up again if they need him. But if he if he they don't need him, he doesn't have to. So he gets put into Arkham in the end, and we'll talk about what happens there a little bit later. Um, I do want to transition over to talk about Colin Farrell as the Penguin. And I think he's pretty fucking great oh. here. Um, his his accent, his performance, uh, it's all on the nose. I will say my just one negative is not anything to do with Colin Farrell. I just wish that you know they didn't put guys in prosthetics and fat suits. Um, it's not that hard to find people that look like the Penguin as portrayed in this movie. Um, they probably could have gotten like some Mike and Michael Ironside shaped actor yeah. to like play that. I do role. appreciate that. I don't know if you saw Colin Farrell. They asked him why he used a fat suit, and his his reaction was like, "I'm not gaining weight for this. Like I did that before, and it, it messed me up for months." Which is good. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Tom Hanks has yes. done that so much that he has diabetes now. I think. Yeah, and I think uh, Robert Pattinson also said he, I wasn't going to become like Chris Evans for this role either, um, because that's another way to absolutely torture and destroy yep. your body. So I'm glad. There is some responsibility. I don't need my superheroes, even if they are Captain America, to be like Hercules. They can just be Captain America is the one that makes sense for. I feel. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, uh, Um, Shout out uh, Kamel Nanjiani, looking completely miserable in Eternals, (laughs) mm -hmm. looking like like he has body dysmorphia now because 
yeah, you don't need you don't need to put on sixty pounds of muscle and get completely cut to be a guy who shoots lasers out of your hands. Like anyone can do that. That's the thing too. Yeah. I I always like it when Superman. So, I mean, Superman should be like a big guy, and he should be like strong looking, but he doesn't have to be super cut because like it doesn't matter. He has superpowers. Right. It's not because it's not, he, it's not because he lifts that he's strong. Yeah. Um, yeah. Most superheroes don't need that. I mean, I feel like Batman could be in good. He should be in good shape, and and he's in good shape. But like, yeah, Daredevil maybe, and like, yeah, like the Punisher doesn't have to be in good shape. He's just a, a guy who shoots people. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most of these people just need to be in adequate shape. Um, only a couple of them. Does it make sense that these are like, you know, Adonis level Wonder Woman or maybe uh, kind of characters? One. And I guess Batman can be because I mean, I, lest we forget, uh, comic book Batman is quote equal to or better than Al, every Olympic athlete that has ever existed. That's a that's a real thing. <laughs> that is true. So he should be anyone who trains. I feel like should be pretty good shape. But I don't mind Pattinson just being kind of looking like a guy who runs in the gym. <laughs> like he looks like he works he, out, but he doesn't look like a. He's not like a muscle bound freak. Right. Right. Um, he looks like me because I go to the gym like three times a week and, you know, stay in shape. But uh, the Penguin, yeah. uh, I think uh, Colin Farrell's accent is great. Um, I will not try to recreate it, but uh, I just love the way he sounds. And I think he's it's just a great way to introduce the character mm-hmm. as he's kind of a second in charge to uh, Falcone in this. And, you know, he just he's not like the Penguin from Batman Returns with like the, you know, three fingers or the super fucked up uh, backstory. It's more just he's like a minor crime boss that ascends, yeah. uh, Mr. Oswald uh, Cobblepot, um, who ends up filling a power vacuum. And I think they set him up very nicely for um, a sequel, but apparently they're also going to do a TV show based on his character, mm-hmm. which, you know, take or leave it. But if you're going to spin off a character, I totally get it because he was very memorable in his time as the Penguin. My... Um, Go ahead. Uh, I just going to say, though, I wanted to specifically mention the car chase scene in this movie because that's like the big set piece involving the penguin. And I think it's great. Um, less, not so much about the penguin stuff, but just because it's a really good car chase that isn't like a lot of the other car chases we see in cinema. A lot of it's told through like headlights and rain, uh, rear view mirrors and windshields and like little peek back around the corner of like the headrest. Um, it's just a really well shot mm-hmm. scene and very like Batman-y to me, the way it's night and rainy and all that. I love um, two things about that, that whole sequence. A, I don't like, I don't know if I like that. There's a huge explosion, a huge pile of like people have definitely died and Batman and Gordon are just like, well, never mind that shit. We got to get, we got to get Penguin. Um, like I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have been mad if if Penguin gets away because Batman stops to help people from this horrific car accident he's involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also the, the openly like the funniest thing in the movie to me, and I think many people have picked up on this, is when they finally catch Penguin and they're showing the crime scene photos, and he's like, "Oh, I don't want that shit. Get that shit out of here!" <laughs> <laughs> oh, like he's just disgusted by it. It's great. That's such a great fun performance. And yeah, the best thing I can say is that because they announced. I mean, they announced months ago that they were doing a Penguin show, and I, I, I had the same reaction I always have when they, you know, when they when they Avengers: Age of Ultron this when the whole when half the movie half the movie is like tune in next week for this episode. But I can say now that I'm, I'm probably going to watch that because I just really enjoyed Colin Farrell. Mm-hmm. 
He's great. You could honestly airlift him and put him in like Goodfellas yeah. or something and it would feel up. The fun piece. thing with Penguin, I will say, um, Penguin is kind of a more adaptable. I mean, that's one of the things about DC in general. I feel like it's easier to adapt it to like weirder time. Like you can't, you can't do Gotham by Gaslight is, is I think people like, you couldn't do like Victorian Spider-Man. It just like wouldn't work because so much of the characters tied into being a guy, a contemporary person. And I feel like, you know, that's why so many DC stuff works like going to going back to World War II and going to the future and, you know, all that stuff. I, that's what really works better with DC than Marvel, I feel like. And Penguin is, is a good example of that because there's so many different – you can do the Danny DeVito little freak Penguin. You can do this like – Penguin is just like a mob boss. You can do Telltale Penguin. It's like another rich kid who – he grows up like a punk. He's like a limey punk Penguin. It works. It, 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 they, all, they all work pretty well. Um, yeah. and and this this is a say, one. I, I, this is one of my favorites. I feel like. Uh, is this also the first mention in live action of the Iceberg Lounge? Um, I can't remember if that was in Batman Returns, but uh, that is a very yeah. iconic location for the Penguin. When you fight him in all the Arkham games, that's usually where you find him is in the Iceberg Lounge. So I like that. And the last uh, Feral Flourish or Penguin Flourish, I want to call out is in that there's a scene where uh, he's captured and Batman and Gordon are interrogating him. And then Batman and Gordon just leave him there all tied up. And he has to like waddle like a penguin with his hands bound and his feet bound. And they don't like call it out or they don't have Colin Farrell make some like quip, like anybody there to help me or something like they, they just like let that the camera linger on him for a few seconds. You get the joke. My audience laughed and then boom, it's onto the next scene. I feel like if you had that in a Marvel movie, you would definitely get a quip so out this of happened. Farrell at that yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> so you're probably wondering how I got here. Something yeah. like that. No, that's me. Uh, oh, <laughs> it's very Italian penguin. I love it. Yeah. Uh, now, let's speak about the other crime boss in this movie because it's a wonderful performance from an actor I wouldn't have presumed would be cast as him. Uh, that would be John Turturro as Carmine Falcone, who ends up being very much a linchpin in the story here. Um, he is the subject of one of the Riddler's main riddle that, you know, the Riddler is trying to get uh, Carmine Falcone out into public so he could assassinate him um, because Carmine Falcone was part of the corruption that fed into Thomas Wayne and the renewal project that's kind of running through this movie. But John Turturro is like one of our greatest living mm-hmm. actors um, and probably not recognized as such as often he um, because art. he, you know, usually he's an artist disappears into his roles. Um, and he does a lot of like Coen brothers movies and just a lot of great stuff, but uh, he's just fantastic as Falcone and he gets to chew all the scenery oh, yeah. as well in his role. That's great. I loved, um, that's, that's the biggest lot. I mean, the, the two big long Halloween things is, is him being Selena's father. And uh, um, just the, uh, his whole plot is, is just some supervillain. I mean, in long Halloween, it's like every supervillain wants to kill him. And so it's just trying to draw him out. I, every scene he's in is just really good. They do nice. Um, I was, I guess, pretty early what they were doing with with him and Selena because I mean, Long Halloween, I kind of got that. But I, I liked mm-hmm. it was kind of gr- like I didn't under, I didn't know at first that he didn't know who she was, so it made their scene earlier grosser. Because <laughs> I thought he was just yeah, being like sure. like weirdly patronizing and like t- and touchy with her, which you know some parents do that. But instead, no, he was just like straight up hitting on her. And she just had to take, accept it and and try not to blow her cover, which is gross. Makes him makes him more of a weaselly weirdo. Um, he's great. He's just really good. He honestly, 
I kind of feel, I mean, I, I know the movie ends with the Riddler stuff, but like he's as much of an antagonist, I feel like. Because he, he's a presence in the movie throughout, yeah. whereas with the Riddler, it's his riddles or like a random video that they're playing over and over. Like the Riddler really only gets his like on-screen real performance really in that end scene in Arkham when him and um, Batman face yeah. down. You see him throughout and you see shots of him throughout. But like in terms of real character work, it's either in the few like videos that he sends to the news or in that one scene. So Falcone has to kind of fill that role until it's handed off to the Riddler near Riddler the end. is the current threat. He's the uh he's the the like the micro like threat of right now where Falcone is, is portrayed more as like a symptom of like a cause of a lot of Arkham's problem. He's like the long-term threat to the city mm-hmm. uh, and it's good and i think it helps because uh falcone was also in uh batman begins um he's kind of like the first uh crime boss that uh batman takes down which opens up the power vacuum for all the weirdos but i like that they're able to kind of leverage that character again um just because it is someone that you know people might recognize at this point and i think we talked about the Falcone versus Falcone. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's this riddle about a rat with mm-hmm. wings and they want you to, you know, think it could be Falcone or it could be Batman or it could be the penguin um, because they all have flying animal imagery as part of their names. Um, and it does end up being Falcone in the end. But I think it's also, um, like you said, it keeps some of the confusion clear with Salvatore Moroni. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't confuse him with Falcone because Moroni is completely off screen. Um, in his mention, maybe they show a screenshot, not screenshot. I don't think like they a- do. No. Um, um, I like to pretend it's still Eric Roberts from yeah, The Dark Knight because that was a pretty fun performance. Um, um, uh, I would also say too. I, I there's there's a, there's an alternate universe version of this movie where they just bring in every single DC character who has flying imagery, and they think that's who it is. Like Hawk and Dove show up, and Batman's like, "Oh, it's got to be them." <laughs> uh, Black Canary, yeah. Black Canary, um, it's a rat with wings. Um. So uh, that that'd be. Fun. Let's hop that'd over fun. to yeah. Let's talk about uh, Jeffrey Wright as Lieutenant Gordon, which, as someone pointed out on Twitter, anytime that uh, Gordon is not commissioner, uh, you should just automatically assume the commissioner is a, a shit. Yeah, two of them. Uh, but I, I really like uh, I like Jeffrey Wright as an actor broadly. Um, his personal life is a little bit of a not great in terms of he owns a gold mine in Africa, yes, uh, but. But as an actor, he is just fantastic. I loved him as Felix Leiter in the Bond movies. Uh, he, he was one of the best parts of Westworld, a show I didn't really love, but he was fantastic in it. And I think he makes a great Gordon. Um, it's nice to see an African-American actor play Gordon uh, just for variety, if nothing else. And I can see him being a long-term fixture. I do like Gary Oldman a lot, yeah. uh, but I can see Wright being every bit as good given even more time. And I like how him and Pattinson play off each other. Yeah, he's Jeffrey Wright has always been a good actor to just give exposition to. He's very good at that. Um, And just, it's nice to just, yeah, I love the buddy cop stuff with him, with the two of them. Uh, as I think people on Twitter mentioned, I love that he just calls him man. Like, hey man, which is great. It's great to have like weird shorthand with Batman and Gordon. They, they obviously they have a, it's always good to have the police be sort of antagonistic force in Batman's career. Mm-hmm. But I like that they have like a, they have like a good, they trust each other. They have a good dynamic. Um, 
the other thing, yeah, you mentioned, I like that. I think Jeffrey Wright said this. There's nothing about Jim Gordon's character that's like that says he has to be a white person. Like, there's really nothing about him at all that that you know. It's not like we've talked about this before. It's not like Daredevil like probably should be a white Irish Catholic guy. Superman probably should be white at least if you're going to set it in a in a remotely. He doesn't have to be, but like I feel like people. I feel like a, a black Superman wouldn't get the same media coverage. <laughs> wouldn't be a, such a positive figure. It, there'd be there'd be more. I guess you could work in Lex Luthor being more of a less openly villainous character for distrusting him, and more. I mean, less openly villainous like to the public, you know, mm-hmm. but like also kind of racist, <laughs> uh, which he is. Yeah, I mean, he very much is. Like that's that's Lex Luthor's. He's racist against Kryptonians. But um, the only character in the Batman mythology that I would not want to like racially swap is Alfred because I just don't want you know a black man serving yeah. a billionaire. But pretty much everyone else in Batman's canon yeah. can pretty much be any race for the most part. I Batman um, for the same kind of reasons. I wonder. Yeah, I, I mean, also the whole billionaire yeah, thing. thing uh, uh, that not just a billionaire, but like old an old money billionaire. Old money, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Generational wealth is part of the Wayne uh, heritage, so I think that. But works. yeah, but uh, Jeffrey, basically nobody else. I don't think yeah. anybody else. There's, yeah, I don't. I can't think of another character that's like this character can't be. It has to be white. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish we could go back in time and cast Tupac Shakur as Carmine Falcone <laughs> and see how that one turns huh? out. Uh, but I like Wright a lot. Um, I want to uh, just call out a scene very early on when uh, Wright. Uh, brings Batman into the first of the Riddler murders um, where he murders the mayor. Um, I like how they shoot the scene because Batman's in the room, but the camera's kind of following these various cops um, who are like, you know, looking at evidence or whatever. And then one of them will kind of walk out of frame and the camera follows and they'll just bump into Batman and be like, shit. And then like, kind of like walk around him. It just like, it does a really good job of making um, Batman's presence, both like, He's both hidden, but also unsettling and ever-present. It's just like a good mix of... It's a good detective um, scene, too. It's a good use of camera work. It's mm-hmm. basically every BBC detective show. <laughs> yeah, how he walks around and points things yeah. out, and other people follow him and see that, oh, he looked at this corner, so something must be here, and of course there always is. And I do like, again, you know, a cab and all that stuff. I do like that they do have a rookie cop who kind of comes around on Batman in the yep. end. Uh, they don't like lionize the cops at all in this really, but uh, it, it does help to kind of have that character because Batman will, you know, Gordon isn't his only ally generally. Yeah. There are, you know, pro Batman cops and anti Batman cops. So um, Harvey, kind of having that one. Mm-hmm. Get the, the, oh, get God. the sloppiest, fattest actor you can imagine. It's a shame. It's a shame that we couldn't do that in the eighties because there's a plenty of uh, plenty of uh, candidates. Like who's like a who's like a, a sloth, a sl- like a, just a big galoot. Who, who? What actors do we have now that are everyone's on personal training regimen? Get Rob McElhenney and let him let him gain sixty pounds again. <laughs> <laughs> I get you can get like Zach Galifianakis yeah. or something, and, and, and let let Rob McElhenney do his natural Philly accent. Oh, that'd be <laughs> so good. I think we need a Harvey Bullock. Uh, we're coming up shortly on our sequel thoughts, yeah. and let's just put Harvey Bullock in there as and well. And Renee. Get Renee Montoya uh, in there. Yeah. 
Uh, let's talk a little bit about Andy Serkis as Alfred. Uh, and Andy Serkis has been a staple in Matt Reeves movies for a while, mainly as Caesar in the Planet of the Apes sequels that Reeves directed. Um, I always enjoy seeing Serkis uh, be himself mm-hmm. and not a golem or a monkey, even though he's great as both of those. And he's, he's um, a fine director. I li- I- mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Venom 2. Uh, Let There Be Carnage. So I like Circus a lot as Alfred. It is just one of the things where I wish we had a little more with him. Um, just because he, he kind of like obviously fades into the back of the story yeah. after he's attacked yeah. halfway through. Um, but I could have gone just a little bit more. But I also can see them realizing it's probably not worth it to chase the Michael Caine tale right away. Yeah. Um, you can kind of like I think though the Nolan movie strength is how well they did uh, Alfred overall. And I, I can see them like kind of dialing it back at least a little bit and then maybe cranking it up a little later. But I think the movie actually plays with that because Bruce isn't as nice to Alfred as we think he'll be later on, especially near the end of this mm-hmm. movie itself. I think you can see that relationship grow again. You kind of get lines about that in Batman begins, but by, you know, they kind of mention it. And then by the time Bruce Wayne's an adult, it's like him and him and Alfred are, pa- are pals. Yeah. There's um, a big thing. And this is a thing, especially in the Arkham games and pretty much all the games, especially post Batman, post Nolan Batman is like, he is, he is Bruce's dad. Like that, that Bruce kind of recognizes that this is my father. Like, at this point, like this is this is the this is my family, and that doesn't feel like that here, which is interesting. It's an interesting way to take it, but yeah, I mean, Andy Circus is he's a fine actor. He's just he's good. He's just he's you like seeing him. I don't know. Yeah, and uh, nothing else to uh, add on Circus, but I do want yeah, to mention one other movie, so it's kind of hard to really have strong thoughts. Yeah, I think if I had an actual criticism of some of the pacing or storytelling in this movie, I don't like how they have, because they have basically back-to-back scenes where Falcone explains to Bruce like his version of what happened with his father and 20 years ago, and it's mostly lies. But then like immediately after that is when Alfred gets attacked, and then we basically get that scene where Alfred tells Bruce the truth about Thomas Wayne. And the, this, the scenes are so close together mm-hmm. that it seems kind of mm-hmm. weird that we get one story and it immediately changes in the following scene. If they like kind of spaced it out a little bit more, I think it would work a little better. But it's a very minor thing, but I, it's just something that I noticed. Is like they kind of turned that real quickly. They gave you new information and then disproved it like within 10 minutes. Yeah, you don't really get time for... Bruce to sit with this revel- the revelations that his dad may have been putting hits on people. <laughs> Which would have been nice, but, uh, you know, you only have so much time in a three-hour yeah. movie, I guess. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about character-wise or story-wise before we start moving on to some other, like, closing uh, thoughts and looking forward? There's one other character, but we'll talk about him in a bit. Okay. Oh, there is another character I want to mention, and that's the little kid. Oh, yeah. uh, which he's the he's the one I mentioned early on when uh, the Riddler is spying on this uh, little kid playing up as Zorro, uh, who we're supposed to think is little Bruce Wayne, but isn't. It's just the mayor's kid. And they use him as a good visual marker throughout this movie. There's a funeral halfway through uh, the movie. I forget whose funeral it is. It, it's the mayor's. It's mayor's, yeah. It's where um, uh, yeah, the DA shows up. And his... Uh, uh, his son is there, and Bruce Wayne, who attends as Bruce Wayne at the funeral, just keeps staring at this kid. He first stares at him at the murder scene because he's like, oh, shit, that kid was me. Um, and then he sees them again throughout the movie. And in the end, when Batman goes to help people from the uh, burning wreckage or falling wreckage, um, the 
Black Mare-elect, she's a little hesitant. Bella Real, sorry. She's hesitant to take Batman's hand to come out, but the kid's the first one to come forward, and then he kind of gets everyone else to be like, okay, we'll accept the Batman's help. So, um, like I said, you can't always just completely ignore Batman's origin because it drives so much of his pathos, especially in year two of being <laughs> Batman. But the way that they were able to, like, visually work it in without ever doing the origin. Oh, um, when they uh, when the Riddler kills Falcone, um, it's under a street lamp that's flashing, and it's supposed to be very much like yeah. the crime alley v- vision of where uh, Martha and Thomas Wayne were killed. So that's another thing where they use the symbolism of Batman's origin without ever actually doing Batman's origin that I love. I also like, I really... This is more testament to Andy Serkis's acting ability, but I really, really love that scene. I like that it wasn't super tech stuff, but I, I the the weird context he had that could record everything. Those are interesting. That's at least interesting idea. But I really, really like the scene where uh, after the first time he's doing that, when, when Alfred kind of confronts him and then Alfred's just sort of watching the footage back and he sees him look at that boy and he just like knows wordlessly exactly what Bruce is thinking. And it, mm. you can see him just feel like it, he just feels awful about it. Like it, it's a, it's a raw wound. That's the thing with Batman. It's never think he, something he gets over, but I also like that. It's not something that Alfred's gotten over. Alfred is not like he's never. I mean, Alfred's always been like an emotional and like a um, very open, warm character. But it's just something that he's not really. It's a wound he wasn't ready to open either. And I like I like that they have that shared trauma. That's sort of the the reason that they are a family unit, and the reason why uh, he's going to probably get that kid and make him Robin. <laughs> and there's another kid with the trauma. Oh. That's what I was assuming will happen. Oh, that 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 might make a ton of sense, which will be well, interesting. So openly I said think, if he said if we do Robin, I want it to be like a preteen, like I don't want to have like cool adult Robin, which makes sense because yeah. if, if he's Bruce Wayne in his twenties, like you're not getting like a nineteen year old. That kind of ruins the the their dynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it should very there should very much be like an not older gentleman, but there should be like at least a ten to fifteen year age mm-hmm. gap, I would think. Um, I mean, if you if you do, I don't know how young Bruce Wayne is supposed to be in this movie. You can, you know, squeeze that down to eight to ten years, depending if he's like 24 or 25 or something. But uh, yeah, I, I, I like to see an age gap and an actual kid would be nice. Yeah. And also, by the way, uh, that would also um, the 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 reason Robin's never worked in live action is because they, they always try to make him like, again, like Chris O'Donnell was cool, was the, was the 90s teen Robin. And then like the Batman the Dark Knight Rises one wasn't even that was a joke but like that also if people are worried about these movies being too dark and gritty having a wisecracking kid like that helps <laughs> Dick Grayson is a mm-hmm. notorious uh, smart ass like that's his main character trait and like this won't be Dick Grayson if they dig that kid from the mayor's son but still that's fine mm-hmm. he doesn't have to be Dick Grayson that's a that's another thing Robin can be anyone there's like eight Robins yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm on the Carrie Kelly boat, but just because uh, I recently reread kid. The Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Exactly. Figure I won't. Uh, I, I just look because she speaks in this like weird futuristic jive. In the cyberpunk um, show, yeah. Yeah, so I, I actually enjoy her quite a bit. Um, we'll talk about sequels in a second, uh, but I, I want to come back to One thing I wanted to mention, Robin. I can't remember who the other character was because I mentioned the DA. Did you know that um, they named... The DA was it the mayor? It was two of the people that that they the names they used were people from the Watergate scandal. Oh, I and did not know said, this, yeah, but that openly makes... they wanted to kind of uh, 
they wanted to kind of make that association, which I think is really neat. Mm-hmm. That seemed like a oh, very cool. you thing I could mention because you you love that shit. Oh yeah, no, I I will eat that up. I'm going to go and look it for that after we record. Uh, I did want to circle real back quick to the contacts uh, because that actually made me think a lot of the detective vision in the Arkham mm-hmm. games a little bit. It's not the same thing, but that's the kind of tech that makes sense for Batman to have. So I really liked it. And I like that they used it a couple of times. Like Selena uses it to get back in touch with uh, Bruce later on. And you can see her cats kind of looking at it. Um, maybe I just like it because of the cats, yeah. but cat vision. Uh, I like th- cat camera. That'd be nice to have, right? So, a camera that's on your cat of all times. Yeah. Seeing what little um, what, d- what little things he's getting into. Oh, all the things. So I want to talk real quickly about the score, um, which I mentioned a couple of times. Like, I really, really love mm-hmm. it. Um, I've been listening to it nonstop. This is going to be like the wildest comparison to anyone. So please note that I'm not comparing these in quality. But this movie really feels like the 2001 A Space Odyssey of Batman. Like, it's a movie you just want to sit down for three hours and just watch and listen mm-hmm. to. Like, it's about the mood and the vibe and everything being kind of slow and deliberate and scenes taking five to ten minutes to unfold. Um, it feels very of a piece with that. And I think the music is a big part of it. Um, I think the Batman theme is just fantastic. I I, I think it's like the best Batman theme we've gotten. I love Danny Elfman's score, uh, but it's so good. It actually reminds me a bit of the Imperial March. Mm-hmm. People have said um, that. Because it's got like uh, those big brassy horns and basically all the instruments are playing the same melody at the same uh, time and it's in beat with the drums. And that actually gives Batman a Vader-esque feel in this movie that I really love too. Like the way he steps into that fight in that opening scene, it could very much be like Vader hallway scene style in Rogue One, even though Vader didn't get <laughs> punched by any of those jobbers at that point. This movie, um, but it's just like... This movie... Go ahead. It's the first one to really... I guess Batman 89 did it a little bit to really give you the perspective people, normal people would have of him where they're just terrified. He's terrifying. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that, gave, that Batman doesn't like the Nolan movies talked about that theatricality and all that as a weapon. And that stuff's great. That's part of Batman. But like, then he just looks like Christian Bale. I don't know. I think, I think having, having him look, even though his suit is very obviously made, it's very obviously practically made, not having it just be like army surplus stuff just makes him look more terrifying. Also, it's just nice that he's not buying stuff from the Department of Defense in this movie. But that's not, that's Christopher Nolan. That's not Batman. Um, I love I love his uh, his little batarang thing in his chest. It's the first time anyone's used a batarang since before Batman eighty nine. Like, yeah, because that, that's the thing. That's a, uh, that's the famous thing with that movie that, that people a lot of people understand this. Before that, gra- Batman did not use grappling hooks before that movie. Like in the comics, he would throw like he would use like like sixty six mm-hmm. Batman like used he would throw grappling hooks, but they didn't use like um grapnel blast or whatever the fuck you call them. He would just throw right. like grappling hooks like a cat would climb walls, and they used batterings. The battering was like a signature gadget then, and it's not now. Uh, the uh, B test does have the grappling hook, but there are times where he just throws a battering on a rope yeah. and uses it to swing yeah. across at times too. Um, they did use the battering. I can't believe you forgot this in Batman Forever, um, when uh, Val Kilmer has a riddle for the yeah, Riddler, yeah. and you know, like, what's as blind as a bat? And then he throws a battering at the big green thing that was brainwashed. Forget that movie, but um, no, you're right. I like that a lot. That the battering came out of his uh, 
chest piece, um, which actually made me think a little bit of Spider-Man Homecoming, mm-hmm. uh, where the spider insignia revealed itself to be a, what's it called? Little drone thing, which again, not <laughs> Stark Tech and the Department of Defense aside, I thought was just at least a cool way to do something new with the costume, it, or at least it, in terms it, of live action it, um, movies. Brings in a little bit one of the one of the more recent and also one of the stupidest in a, in a good comic book way Batman things, which is that he designs his suit to be strongest at the symbol, so people shoot at it. Yes, I love that. Yeah, that's such a comic um, book thing. Exp- it's such it's such a deliberate like thing that didn't need to be explained, but now it is, and you can't un- you can't unknow it. <laughs> Wrong company, but that very much feels like a Marvel no prize kind yeah. of thing. Where it's like they designed a guy with a yellow bat in the middle, and it's like, well, why is the, why is it yellow and the rest of him is black? And it's like, oh, because people will shoot at that where he's reinforced his armor or whatever. I love that. Uh, reading it's perfect it. nonsense comic book stuff because it's like that's not how guns yeah. work, but hey, who cares? <laughs> um, and the, uh, you reminded me also talking about how people are terrified of Batman. That's very much part of the arc of this movie because when he saves that guy at the real yeah. beginning on the L stop, um, that guy is all, like he. The, the guy he saves watches Batman kick the shit out of the, these gang members. But then when Batman goes to ask him if he's all right, he's like, stay away from me. You know, like he thinks that's Batman's good, also, just- Also, that's part of his arc because that guy won't take his hand. And at the end of the movie, <laughs> the mayor takes his hand. Uh, the kid takes yeah. his hand and everyone takes his hand. So I like the fact that it's not just about Bruce Wayne becoming Batman, but Batman becoming the Batman we want him to be to Gotham yes. City, um, which is- you know, something I really appreciate. I thought they were going to build to that better in The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, um, that's the thing. Like I, I think thought you can't do that because they had that ending of The Dark Knight. Right? <laughs> exactly. And I, I like the ending to The Dark yeah. Knight. Like we talked about, it's very Metal Gear Solid 3, like doing what no hero can do or being more than a hero. But uh, I thought, you know, you still want Batman to be Batman to the city and they could only do that kind of quote-unquote posthumously in The Dark Knight yes, Rises. Yes, yes. Because like... Uh, that's the thing that made Dark Knight, Dark Knight Returns. That's one of the most powerful aspects of it is the city. Because Dark Knight Returns is famous for having like these interstitials news things. And that's the thing mm-hmm. that people people are so excited that he's come back because he's a symbol. He's just, he symbolizes hope for Gotham. And like that, you can't do that in a movie where the other the movie before it ends with everyone thinking he's a murderer. Yes. So. Let's uh, kind of start wrapping yeah. up. Uh, but before we leave this main movie, we got to talk about the cameo at the end. Uh, when the Riddler is thrown into Arkham, his next door cellmate is the Joker, played by Barry Keough. I'm the, jo- he's the Joker. Uh, who you, may, you may recognize him as Druig from the Eternals or as some weird fucked up guy in basically everything <laughs> else he's in, including the Green Knight. Um, so what did you think about the scene? I, I'm, I was impressed that they managed to get a somehow more manifestly Irish person than Colin Farrell in this movie. There's only like four of them on earth, but they, I got one. Um, yeah, I, he's a good actor. I, I like, cause I don't know if you could tell, I, I listened to some stuff. Uh, he is going to be, this Joker is going to be that he has a congenital condition that makes him look like that. And that is where I'm into it. Yeah. That's where like the, I guess the idea is going to be that he he's a person who's forced, you know, to always be smiling. So he's forced to find humor in crime. He thinks a crime is funny. Did you, did you believe it? But I like that. That's an interesting <laughs> idea. I just don't know. It looked kind of – I don't think it looked that good. I don't know. It's hard to tell. And more than that, I just – I didn't really like that they, they – again, Matt Reeves explained it and I think there's a good explanation for it. But I, I, it's the only thing in this movie that felt like a modern superhero movie. Being like, tune in next time for The Joker. 
But uh, Matt Reeves basically when I came out and said like that don't that doesn't mean he's going to be in the next movie. I, they really just wanted to have they wanted to have a visualization of when Selena says at the end that like Gotham like you didn't save the city this still fucked up. They wanted to have like just an example of like yeah somebody is out there still like there's still this stuff is still out there. He's not Batman has not saved Gotham. Uh, that works, yeah. but, I, but I I definitely got that feeling when I was watching it of like kind of a. Thor having a having a dream about Thor three in the middle of a movie, basically a commercial for mm-hmm. the next movie, and I don't I, please get that out of this. I don't want that in here at all. Yeah, I, I could take it or leave it. Like I would absolutely be into Barry Keogh's like actual Joker performance. Yeah, that's the thing. He's a good actor. Th- so this is something where I, I know Reeve said it was part of the plan to put it in, but I could also see like after No Way Home and all these heroes showed up in that Spider Man movie, it's like, do you think we can fit the Joker in here just near the end? So like. People can say the Joker's in this yeah, or something that's the like thing. that. That's, that's the only thing that felt like a, a studio note. Really, in the whole, <laughs> almost in the whole movie, I would say. Yeah. Um, I would actually love to see a Batman, whether a trilogy or whatever, where the Joker is there but never actually the big bad. Like maybe he's just an Arkham. Or maybe you can have him be like the villain at the end rather than like the middle or beginning of a series yeah. of movies. Um, so that might be fun. I, I wanted to mention this earlier too. One of the other Batman Telltale things is in this, and I wonder if because they said there was a, a scene they cut where he where he goes to Arkham and to make a, a profile for mm-hmm. the Riddler, and he talks to the Joker, and the implication is that they already know each other. But I'm glad that they cut that because they could go. One of the most interesting things about Batman Telltale in the second season is the Joker is just some guy at Arkham. He's a John Doe. He's just there. He was already there for being like a dangerous. A good a criminally insane person, but he has no criminal history as the Joker. And Batman actually works with him for a bit. It's like, because like he just has weird insights to this stuff. And Batman's like, well, this guy's like, he's, I don't trust him, but like he's a resource into this sort of mindset. They do the Hannibal thing almost where he works with him. And then the uh, Batman's mistake is that he kind of gives him confidence and frees him. And then he starts doing Joker shit. And Batman's like, oh no, what did I do? That would be a fascinating oh, thing to do in a live action movie. I kind of want because we can move into the sequel stuff. If my idea is that's the third movie and that's the Court of Owls movie, and that basically Batman is so overwhelmed by the Court of Owls that he starts going, he goes to Arkham, or maybe he gets thrown into Arkham or something. He meets Joker oh, there. That would be good too. And then Joker has like some weird somehow he knows about them and he helps him. And then Batman breaks him out of Arkham to have him help. And then suddenly he's just a Joker. And, and that's, that's mm-hmm. the rest of the movie is Batman has to fight. Cause I, I can't even imagine a more like a DEFCON level situation for Batman than the court of owls is going crazy. And also the Joker is here. That's like his two most yeah. powerful villains. At least like in the, I'm also a big fan of them using 21st century Batman villains because there's not that many that are good. And they've basically named – they named up the two that are <laughs> in, this, in this movie. Um, yes. So, yeah, that that would be my third movie. Second movie has got to be some Hush. Got to get Hush in there. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is I think Hush and Court of Owls more in full would probably be where I'm looking to. And when I say sequels, it could be not necessarily be the next movie but, um, you know, the next series of movies. Uh, the only other thing I'd add to your stuff is I really think we need to get a good Robin yeah. or a Nightwing or just something like that because I think at this point that's the only character that's important to the Batman mythology that they haven't really nailed in any way. And no offense to Chris O'Donnell, it's more his the movies are really just badly conceived yeah. more than anything. 
Uh, but like we've had good Catwomen, good Gordons, good Batman, good Alfreds. Good uh, a lot of these uh, people we've had multiple good iterations of. But, um, you know, sorry, Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy, although I'll take Uma Thurman any day. Uh, I think I would love to see. I think he said, I think Matt Reeves said they want to do Mr. Freeze. And that's an interesting thing about this movie is it's you. I can't conceive of any kind of comic accurate Mr. Freeze in the Nolan movies. It just wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. I can kind of see it in this. I can see it. Um, Yeah, I think you can do Mr. Freeze and Hush in the second one. Yeah, that's where Robin would be useful because um, spoiler alert, Hush is not like a as well known character. Uh, I won't go into like the whole backstory, but Hush's main thing is that he gets sur- he gets plastic surgery to look like Bruce Wayne, so he can steal Bruce Wayne's life. Um, so you know what that would mean for a second Batman movie, a second the Batman movie, it would mean that you you could get a villain who's just played by Robert Pattinson, hamming it up one hundred percent, like being the most comically like cackling evil guy. And if you don't want to see that, then I don't know what you're going to see movies for. I I would pay so much money to see that. Oh, you could just call it the Batman at that point too. Save, uh, just have the villain be evil, evil Robert Pattinson. Come on, cackling. Uh, I'm also Ella. curious to see if any of the flooding from this carries over. Who knows what kind of time jump yeah. will be between they come back? But because there is a little bit of biblical imagery in all of this, um, with like a great flood and everyone's like hidden in the garden is what, you know, yeah. kind of yeah. playing on a garden of Eden and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm just interested cause like, especially if you do like Mr. Freeze and like Gotham is half underwater. Um, you can do some really gnarly shit, I think with that. Um, yeah, I, I think can, that's you it. You can but tie I mean, that into like his origin too. Like maybe he's a climate scientist or something. I don't know. I would stay away from that. That's I think the biggest reason they're probably not going to do Poison Ivy as a villain anymore is because like uh, – We agree with her. Yeah. We, we The 90% of the viewing populace thinks like, ah, she's got a point. Even the Arkham game stopped that because she's like a straight up just a heroic character in Arkham Knight. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm wondering if the second movie is not going to start with some kind of – at least some kind of reference to him – to Batman basically paying for the city to be rebuilt. Right. That seems like a um, pretty I easy think, thing to do. Yeah. I think like the only like major, major villains we haven't really seen in any form in movies are like Killer Croc, uh, the Mad Hatter, Man Bat, <sighs> um, which I don't, I mean, I, I, I would actually be down for a Killer Croc like appearance. Like he's not like a That's big a bad thing, yeah. level kind of. He's so simple. Um, Mad Hatter would be but, fun. Uh, so, yeah, and I think he, Mad Hatter, like I think you would want to go like almost surrealist with that movie, kind of like the Mad Hatter levels in yeah. Arkham City, um, which is like all hallucinogenic freakout stuff, which I think would be really cool. I think Pattinson would be like the perfect Batman to do it. Uh, no offense, Christian Bale, I just don't imagine you. Even though you took a psychotropic hallucinogen in your movie, I still don't buy it. Uh, yeah, I mean, and he, it would just—it would, just, would have looked like the Scarecrow stuff, anyways. The Scarecrow—that's one of the things I like most about Begins, though. That's one of the reasons it's my favorite. It's not like the Dark Knight is the best movie in that trilogy, but Begins is my favorite because it's got the most heightened, weird comic book stuff, like Scarecrow Gas, mm-hmm. which is comic, just like silly, but it's so yeah. That has like again, that has the only other example in these movies outside of the first Batman movie, outside of '89, that has people being afraid of Batman. Is when he's swooping over the narrows, beating everybody up. It's, it's cool. That's, yeah, everyone's screaming, not just the criminals. Yeah. You're right. They're all horrified by him, which you should be. Because if 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 you can't make your Batman, if your Batman isn't frightening to people, then he just looks like a goofy weirdo in a leather suit. Like he looks like George Clooney. 
Sorry, George Clooney. It's a shame. He should have gotten a better movie. Yeah. Uh, I'm of the mind that uh, everyone shits on Clooney rightly, so that movie's garbage. But if you gave Clooney that role now, he would destroy it. you'd kill it. Uh, He really figured out big screen acting over the course of Out of Sight and Ocean's Eleven. It would be a Clooney-esque Bruce Wayne, but I think it it could be great. That's the other thing, too, that's funny to think about now. It already, I mean, it aged, I knew it was going to age poorly when it happened, when Pattinson was cast and people had, like, petitions and shit. It was like, this is every Batman. The only two Batman that, mm-hmm. that didn't get criticized when they were cast were the two worst Batman, <laughs> were Kilmer and Clooney. And, like, it makes yeah, sense. Like, which is real funny. Both of those guys, like, that makes sense. But, like, you know, Michael Keaton was a sitcom actor. People were like, there, there, are, there, there are still newspaper records of people being writing in being like, they can't cast this comic actor to be Batman. Serious character. Even though, you know, apparently yeah. Batman being dark is a new is a new invention. It hasn't been around for 50 years at this point. This is what the character is. I'm sorry. But like, yeah, Christian Bale was the, the, oh, the guy from Newsies. Like, what? It wasn't quite Daniel Craig level, but still. And it was, it was there. Well, Daniel Craig was blonde, which is the greatest sin of all. True. You can't have a blonde James Bond. I actually agree with that. Uh, I think I've got out all my thoughts. Anything else you want to say about this movie? It's good. It did not feel, I mean, it's, it's about as long as Endgame, right? And Endgame feels like a 400, especially on rewatches, that movie feels like it's 400 hours long. It's unbearable. And this movie, I feel like will age, will just move better. It moves pretty briskly, I feel. Yeah. And like I said, I really do think of it as like a Batman movie as a vibe mm. where it's like you can just sit and enjoy the sounds and sights the of it. The Blade Runner Batman movie. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't get to mention, but like the way that uh, Reeves uses gunfire as lighting mm-hmm. is fantastic. Um, it's just incredible use of gunfire. It's never looked cooler the side of a Michael Mann movie. Uh, I loved all of it. And even like the stuff where he lights the flare at the end and leads the people out of the flooding waters. That's like awesome. just the use of color is so good. That those kind of shots are where I really need to see. We really need him underground, like in the in the old Gotham underground going through a bunch of fucked up weird like Cordovals diorama stuff I want that so bad imagine the part in Arkham City where he's like underground but instead of weird steampunk robots he's fighting uh, eyes wide shut cabal of freaks of rich freaks give me it I want it That's mission complete for this episode. Our frequency is podcastsansfrontiers at gmail.com and at podsansfront on Twitter and Instagram. You can support Podcast Sans Frontiers and all my other projects at patreon.com slash bomb. which, hey, that's me. I've been Manu. You can find me covering the Lord of the Rings over at my brother, my captain, my podcast. I don't have a cocky rejoinder, so I'm just a uh, watch Mask of the Phantasm. This movie is almost as good as Mask of the Phantasm, which is a huge achievement. Yes, it is.
Shout out to our sound editor, Stephen Boyd, aka DJ Empirical on Twitter. Please remember to like, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast application. So until next time, remember, when that light hits the sky, it's not just a call, it's a warning for them. (laughs) 